Welcome to the Punk Rock Preschool Podcast with your host, Mr. G. For those about to learn, we salute you. Hello, party people. Thank you for joining us today on the Punk Rock Preschool Podcast. We are changing the world one classroom at a time. That classroom is your classroom. I'm your host, Jared Geller, Mr. G, and we've got another fantastic episode coming at you today. Today's guest is Eric Newman, and Eric has become a really good friend of mine because Eric's just a special guy. He's got such a desire to help and change the world and make the world a better place, and that's exactly what he's doing with his company. His company's called Ketchup Boys. You can check them out at ketchupboys.com, and you can see what Eric's doing where he helps kids in New York City that kids that have dealt with things that they should never have to deal with, kids that are still recovering from some sort of traumatic event in their lives that has, in his own words, blown them off the tracks. And these are all different types of events. And what's really special about Eric's company is that he's not just working with kids from lower socioeconomic backgrounds. He's working with kids that are in the top 1% as well as those kids that we typically think of as at risk. But he realizes that things can happen to kids at any age in any socioeconomic background, any of these types of scenarios that can really push them off the tracks and make it very difficult to get back on the right track. And that's what Eric does. Eric is, he says, how would you describe him? You know, he says, think of me as the Mr. Wolf. If you've ever seen Pulp Fiction, you know who Mr. Wolf is. And if you haven't, then watch Pulp Fiction, please. But he's the Mr. Wolf for teenage boys. And nobody in New York's really doing what he does. He plays the role of mentor and rebuilder to help these kids really rebuild their lives from these traumatic events. He's just an incredible reading and writing instructor. He's a parental ally, especially for single parents. And he also plays the role of what he calls a sports agent, where he's advocating and explaining for the child. And then kids can learn how to advocate for themselves, which we all know is a super important skill to develop. So Eric is doing just really special things. You can catch him at ketchupboys.com, like I said, and I'll let him explain exactly what a ketchup boy is, why he focuses on boys specifically, and all the really special things and the message that he's trying to put out into the world. So please check out Eric and enjoy this podcast. Hey, Eric, it is so great to have you on the podcast. I am super excited that you get to share your story, your experiences, your business, all of it with our audience because what you're doing is really freaking important. So can you give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you do? Yes. Um, first of all, thank you for having me on, Jared. And um, hello to the folks in your audience. Um, uh, you can probably tell from the uh, ambulance <laughs> passing. Uh, I live in Manhattan, New York City. Um, so what I do is I work with teenage boys in Manhattan who I call catch-up boys. I'm going to talk about that, I guess, with you today. And the best way for the folks in your audience to understand what I mean by catch-up boys is what I call the three C's. So basically, a catch-up boy is someone who needs development in any one of the three C's or all three. And the three C's are, in order, competence, confidence, and consistency. And so any kid, 
this case a boy, who is a little lacking in any of those three, someone that I can help and that I have helped. So you just talked about what it means to be a catch-up boy, and I know that you've worked with lots of different types of boys in New York and also in other places um, from what we were talking about before, but what kind of events have happened in in these boys' lives that have made them into catch-up boys, that uh, have left them in the same position? Because I know you've worked with the – I really liked what you talked about before when we had spoke about the bell curve and how your you know, clientele is on – the two opposite ends of the bell curve uh, from a socioeconomic standpoint. And so regardless of class, regardless of socioeconomic standing, regardless of race, these boys have a lot, a lot of similarities. So I was hoping you could talk about that and, and just give us some, some more insight as to, you know, what the demographics of, of these boys are and then also what kind of goes past those demographics in terms of like the events and things that have happened in their lives that have made them uh, have to grow in these three C's. Great. Well, you know, if you take the whole Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hour milestone, you know, I, I've, I've far surpassed that. And as you just mentioned, I've been able to observe this catch up boy phenomenon from the whole spectrum socioeconomic spectrum. So I worked, my first job as, a, as an educator was in the South Bronx, and it was um, predominantly, uh, a, a, you know, a black and Latino student base. Um, there was free lunch served, which, you know, you have to sort of qualify for as a school based on, on your proximity to the poverty line, unfortunately. And my most recent experience, skipping way ahead, uh, as an educator was, you know, frankly, teaching the children of the 1% uh, at, a, at a very um, expensive uh, school where, the, where, where those kids were actually given one-on-one -on -one instruction rather than being in a classroom. So I've seen it all in that, you know, both ends of the bell curve and then, of course, in the middle. And I see clearly that Boys during their formative years really need the guidance of a competent, confident, and emotionally consistent male. Whether that male is a their father, of course, would be ideal, or a grandfather, or an uncle, or a coach. Uh, if they're religious, you know, a priest or a rabbi or you know, mom. If they don't have that, if they don't have an adult male kind of say, I was a little boy once too, and, 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 and here's, I understand you, they suffer. Their development suffers, and they don't reach their, you know, basically their spiritual and mental potential. So Which often, by, often, by the way, then impacts them physically too. Right, so... How did you get on this incredible path? How did you get on this journey to helping these kids realize their potential? Well, uh, Jared, I will, I, will, I will confess on your podcast, I, I too uh, was a catch-up boy <laughs> for uh, a long time. As a matter of fact, um, 
My website, by the way, I'm just going to plug the website right now because it's going to answer your question, uh, is www.catchupboys.com. And I, I sent my mom um, a link to it, and she wrote me, um, I would send the 14-year-old you to you. Hmm. <laughs> and so uh, basically, um, you know, I could have used this. I, I was lacking um, in specifically um, consistency, the, the emotional consistency, and, and, and a little in confidence. Uh, and... So basically, I, throughout my, my, my life, my career as an educator, you know, I've also worked with uh, children on movie sets, uh, and invariably parents or guardians would say to me, my kid responds to you like no other, and what's your magic? You know, you're like a teen whisperer. Like, how do you do this? Why doesn't he trust me or his therapist the way he trusts you? And my answer to them is very simply, you know, I, I am your son. Like I, 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 I when I, when I tell your son, I understand, uh, I understand. And, and, you know, and, and unfortunately, um, a lot of their experiences, whether with guidance counselors or therapists or whatever, those, those people are very well-meaning, but they don't understand. So I was hoping that you could talk about a little bit more about, what these boys and, and what yourself, you know, growing up, what are those consistencies? And I really love the metaphor of being blown off the tracks. And so you've really yes. developed this metaphor out and it, and it, you know, it speaks to me. So like what kind of events can throw kids off the tracks? What does it mean to be blown off the tracks? And, you know, what are the results of that? Like what, are, what do you typically see when you go in to, uh, to meet one of these, these new catch-up boys um, for the first time? And, and um what what is that experience like? Okay, great question. And now we've we're returning to uh, the bell curve. So if if we're going to talk about uh, kids who have been blown off the tracks, we have to go back to those two ends of the bell curve. And uh, you know where, where I specifically saw kids like this at the uh, bottom of the income level and at the top. Um, and so. What I mean by blown off the tracks is, is, is this, you know, you, you're born, you start developing and, you know, mentally, you know, boys basically develop through to 25, actually. And most people are fortunate enough to stay within their tracks. You know, maybe a grandparent dies, maybe there's a divorce, you know, something might happen. But for the most part, they stay on their path till the development is, 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 comes to a natural close. However, young people who suffer um, really unthinkable trauma and tragedy, they simply get blown off the tracks before their development is, is, is able to, to come to a natural close. And, you know, I, that, that certainly happened to me in my life. I, I could give, I'll give a few examples, but it's certainly not limited, you know, so, the, the death of a parent, the death of a young sibling, uh, perhaps being sexually assaulted, um, violently bullied. Uh, you know, these are things that are not meant to happen to a, a young developing mind. They simply, that, that mind does not have the capacity to, to handle. I mean, it's hard enough for adults to handle. And so what happens to these kids is that they get 
they get blown off the tracks, which means those tracks are gone forever. But they can't ha- they can't accept that, and so they sort of haunt those old tracks. Uh, they don't know where else to go, and they don't want to accept that they're gone, which is a very natural response. And what I try to do with, with those kids is present them with the beginning of a new pair of tracks and to sort of encourage them that, yes, it's hard to leave the old ones, but these new ones could actually lead to a very interesting life. And, and in many cases, people who, who've been blown off the tracks and who can find their way to a new set of tracks, they turn out to be you know, the most interesting people you'll ever meet, and in many cases, leaders and, and very successful people. So that's what I offer them. That's that's the contrast I offer them. You could continue to haunt these old tracks, but they're gone. Or you can let me help you start to build a new set of tracks. And that vision of haunting their old tracks like like a ghost, like that really speaks to me. I think it will speak to a lot of the people in the audience because we've all I mean, unless you're teaching in a in a very privileged type of community, which even if you are, like you said, there's still these these instances that when even at four or five years old, you know, the classroom that I taught, kids could come in hungry. Kids could come in mm. with, you know, with emotional baggage that they are not, weren't equipped to really deal with and confront, but they knew something was wrong. They knew that they didn't, you know, they didn't get breakfast that morning. They knew that, you know, somebody close to them had passed away or, or was in jail or something along those lines. And it affects them. Like a big part of teaching is being able to recognize that, you know, emotional outbursts and emotional um, just behavior or, or disruptive behavior before you assume that that is the kid just acting out, like there might be something going on at home. There might be something going on in their personal life. And it's always important to, to explore that and to figure out what's happening because I imagine the sooner that you can get to them when they're blown off the tracks and be able to help them reestablish new tracks, reestablish a idea of where they want their life to go, because especially at that young, you know, it's, it's definitely um, easier for them to form that, that picture in their mind and form those new goals versus when they've been haunting those tracks, like you said, for, for years until they're in high school. Um, Go on. Do you want to say something? Well, look, I mean, we we all, we all actually bring up some really interesting points that I'd like to, that I actually hadn't planned to address, but I'd like to, Um, but I, I want to give you a story. So, the other day I was walking through Central Park and I could hear this man screaming at either his wife or his girlfriend. And I was too far away to see if she had a ring. And um, he was just out of control. And he said, you know, he was screaming at this woman. And, you know, um, how could you how could you talk to me like a child? How could you talk to me like a child like that? I'm, I'm a grown man. I'm a 47 year old man. And a part of me wanted to like walk over to him and give him my card, uh, and and you know I, I would assume the woman would actually pay me for the sessions because I wanted to say to him, you know, she's talking to you this way because you're acting like a child. Right. <laughs> and I see it. Your emotion. This is the emotional consistency. I mean. But what's interesting, even if with a 47-year-old man, let alone I, I see the boy in him. That, that, that's the way I see the world now. You know, I see, I wonder what happened to that guy. Uh, you know, when did he go off the tracks? You know, 
he's probably sort of s- s- frozen at those old tracks and maybe frozen in his 17 or 15 year old self or even his seven year old self because really a 47 year old man shouldn't behave that way. <laughs> right. Uh, so that's what I mean. That's, that's, that's what I see. I, and, and I want to, if you don't mind, I'd like to just, you were talking about, you know, you a younger age group. I, I, you know, I generally just work with teens, but, um, you know, you know. Tell me if if you agree or not. But basically, most psychology, child psychology, agrees that you know when children, when children, are, all children, boys and girls are born, they're born a helpless, and b believing they're the center of the world. Right. Right. And I, you know, just you know, all were, and then and then I, you know, I speak to a lot of my friends who are starting families now, and they all completely agree with those <laughs> those two items. Uh, and then what what happens is if they're, if these helpless children don't get their needs met in a timely, consistent manner, um, they're already starting, they already need some catching up because they take the, the young minds, what's wrong with me? Why am I being abandoned? What am I doing wrong? And that starts right there. It starts with your age group that you're talking about. Uh, so by the time I get them, you know, we, we have om- over a decade possibly of catching up to do. For sure. That yeah, makes, no, it makes, it makes, makes perfect sense. sense. And yeah. I, I know, you know, right there, I think it's a good time to talk about, especially because we're talking about teachers um, and, you know, for the younger kids. I, I know some people are probably wondering out there, you know, this doesn't sound very PC. You know, why are there no catch up girls? And I know you've got a huh. great answer to that. And I think it actually speaks to a larger point about relationships with our students, but, but I'll let you take it away and uh, let people draw their own conclusions. Yes. Thank you. And, and uh, <laughs> I want to say a few things about that because I, I can't tell you how many of uh, the people in my life have asked me that very question. So the, the very simple answer to your question is this. Uh, I literally cannot look, a girl in the eye and say, I used to be a little girl once too. Right. Simple. It's just that simple. And, and as a matter of fact, I'm already looking to bring in a, a female partner to this probably for either next year or the year after to, to start a catch up girls division of my business. Um, because I, I actually have in the past done really well with the, with one of the three C's um, working with, with female students and that's confidence I've helped them uh, with their academic and writing and reading confidence. And I've done that very well. I just, I, I don't feel I'm qualified st- simply based on what I said to, to help um, girls with catch with the catching up. I think they probably need uh, the other thing I'd like to say is that, you know, we live in a, as you said, you know, very, uh, tense times in terms of gender relations. And I want the women in your audience to hear this. I actually believe the more men out there who, you know, kind of improve their development in the three C's as their development in the three C's competence, confidence, and consistence grows, they will become better boyfriends. They will become better husbands. They will become better fathers and they will become better citizens I actually, I think it's, I, I think a lot of the gender issues comes from a lack of the three C's, quite frankly. 
Right, and the alternative would be, you know, if if you're saying, "Oh, I don't know, I don't know about that." Well, nobody wants to be yelled at by a 47 year old man in Central Park. So <laughs> exactly. that's that's exactly. the alternative. So we can have you know a little bit more of a traditional yes. male figure, or we can have somebody who's going to scream at you, you know, at in Central Park in front of all these people saying, "Why don't you treat me like an adult?" So let's let's right. uh let's work on raising boys into into men into adults so they don't stay in that perpetual state that, that, of was, that, that was great advertisement i actually am going to steal that from you but yes <laughs> if i could have like jumped into a, a you know delorean and gone back in time to when that man was 15 or 14 or 17 even and i could have worked with him for about a year or so or or two uh i have a feeling he would be calmly walking in the park with that right <laughs> and i think the visual for, for new yorkers is like they've probably all seen that that scene play out in one way or another so the less of that the better where do we sign up right yes exactly um so speaking still speaking on that 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 uh that missing masculine role model uh that missing masculine figure and when I say masculine, I'm not, you know, and there's this idea of to- toxic yeah. masculinity. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about somebody who's just going to be whatever your idea of a good man is. And that's going to be different for everyone in the audience. And I'm not going to sit here and define what a good man is. But whatever your idea of that is, even if you feel like it's idealistic, um, imagine that when we're talking about the, the kind of kids that the kind of people that Eric is trying to nurture and develop with his program and with his relationships with these kids. So I know we talked about before we got uh, on the interview about the lacking of that masculine, that male figure, that, that good man figure, however you want to define it. Um, It certainly is not there. Um, I know that you, you ran off some statistics for me when we talked last time about just men in, in teaching uh, you know, men yeah. in the household, obviously in different demographics and yep. communities, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's less pronounced than, than in others. So I, and, you know, we had talked about some other, some other things around this topic and I thought it was all really interesting. So I just want to give you the floor to talk more about cool. that relationship and, uh, those figures. So I'm going to, uh, be the line from, from, uh, Kanye West, who's in his own way, rather controversial these days, but you know, he, he just mentioned, a lack of what he called male energy in his life after his parents separated. And uh, then he went on to say he married into you know, the famous or infamous Kardashian family, which is predominantly female. I think there's one male. I think there's one male son. Uh, and he said, that's great. But, you know, I did like male energy. And so I'm going to keep going back to this because I have in my in my mind, based on my observations, um, the three C's for me define what is a healthy amount of male energy. And you talked about the toxic male. Yeah, that is not at all what we're talking right. about here. I mean, I personally, you know, was bullied quite often. I grew up in a very rough and violent neighborhood. Uh, and I, I am well aware of toxic males and I know that they exist. And as a matter of fact, another purpose of, what I do with these kids, with these catch-up boys, is to at least give them a way of, of coping because they have to deal with toxic males too. Right, you know, they're the one they're getting beaten up and they're getting bullied and you know so and threatened. So 
Uh, I think we all share a brain on that one. Um, but to go back to the three C's and what I think is a healthy amount of male energy and going back again to keeping in mind, this, these are developing minds. And, you know, teenagers especially, they, they walk around, and I can't stress this enough, teenagers especially, boy or girl, walk around in a perpetual state of feeling misunderstood. You know, if all of us could go back and try to remember how we felt, you know, it's just you just feel like no one gets me, no one understands. And it's especially so for these catch-up boys. And to have a male can say first, I understand you. I mean, that, that is a gift to these kids. I've seen their eyes when they realize I understand right. them. You should see the light in their eyes. Like, oh because they, they lack experience, but, you know, I, I, I'm going to use some salty language, Jared. Uh, they have tremendous bullshit meters, these mm-hmm. kids. Uh, I've seen it. And don't tell them you understand if you don't. At least be honest and say, I, you know, I hear what you're saying, but I don't I can't relate. Uh, you know, fortunately and unfortunately, I do. Right. And so that's gift one. And then but that's not enough. You know, I had to raise my three C's game so that they could I can model behavior for them. So I'll give you I'll give you one brief example, if you don't mind Go for it. Client that I have is a rabid uh, soccer fan and player. He's quite good. And he had this league finals game. And um, the, the, the head of the league decided to cancel the game because it was too cold outside. And this kid <laughs> was livid. And he wrote to this person uh, quite an email. <laughs> and, you know, his mother called me and said, you got to talk to him. I mean, very bad email. And, and I looked at the email. And he was sitting next to me and he didn't know what I was going to do. And I looked at him and I, and I fist bumped him. And I said, look at this sentence here, your first sentence, where you talked about how you don't think it was fair to people who work so hard in the league playing to cancel their final game without asking them. I said, good for you. I mean, that, that's good. Right. You know, and he looked at me like that's the first time he'd heard that point of view. Everyone else was yelling at him for the rest of the letter. And then I said, okay, and he goes downhill from there. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And he laughed. Right. But he understood, and we crafted an apology letter. So I'm not, I'm not there telling him to write a be- – but, but you have to understand he's a, he's a young, developing male mind, and he was justly upset. And that's good that he would take such an action. You know, the other kids just groused about it quietly. I love that spirit, but then I explained, you have to you have to treat this this person with respect, and you know this person is running the league, and there's a way of speaking, and you have to understand you you still are a kid, and there's, you're expected to treat adults with a little more respect. So do you understand? Like, like he didn't have. I'm I'm the only one in his life who put it to him that way. Yes, and I think that that's. I mean, there's a lot that I want to say in response to that. One thing is just the the idea of of feed forward, which is something that a lot of people, you know, a lot of people have heard of feedback. Um, feed forward is when, and I believe that this is how all feed, you know, feedback and air quotes I'm putting it in, um, should be delivered in a way where you say, here's your strength. Here are your strengths. Here are the things that, 
Yes. And it's not, here's the things you did really good, but here's something that you need to work on. You don't throw that butt in there. Yes. It's, here are your strengths. You were assertive. You were confident. You were standing up for yourself. You were standing up for other kids. So that's a noble act. Let's use that mentality to craft like in the future and it's always future oriented. It's not, here's what you did wrong. It's in the future. Use that strength to improve upon these other areas. And you don't even have to address those other areas as detriments. You can kind of laugh it off like you guys did and then work on developing something that where you use those skills. Okay. You did a great job in advocating for yourself and standing up for yourself. So now you know, let's craft an apology where you say, look, I, I, you don't apologize for standing up for yourself. You apologize for, you know, let's use the positive things in here to be respectful and to get that, right. get that same type of respect that, that, that you want because that's the biggest thing here is that, you know, if you are respectful in the way that you deliver, then people are going to listen to that. And if you're, if you're disrespectful totally. in the way that you deliver, you're not going to get that respect because that's basically what it comes down to. A lot of things actually come down to respect of why people – you know, when people get interrupted, they they're not upset that they got interrupted. They got upset because there's an implicit lack of respect for whatever they're saying that somebody else didn't feel was enough. You know, wasn't worthy enough, so they're interrupting you. So, so now I'm going to interrupt. Yeah, go you. ahead, please. And I will not take it personally because I know that this is this is a free flowing thing. So, and I know I know ideas are popping in your head. So go for it. <laughs> they are actually. So first of all, I want to fist bump. Oh, okay, great. I, I, I'm going to again going to steal a little of that. For uh, future sessions, what you were just saying, because yeah, that's exactly the point. And I and, and I just want to tie in. People in your audience are wondering, you know, well, why do you, you know, how could you? You keep saying you understand, you understand. So I'm I'm just going to briefly tell you a little story that happened to me when I was actually eight, uh, and I uh, my 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 mother and 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 my stepfather who adopted me, um, they moved me from Brooklyn to Florida and we had two parking spaces in front of the little apartment and uh, my mother and stepfather both had a car and they worked and our next door neighbor who had three cars would invariably park in one of our two spaces and night after night after night after night I'd hear my mother complaining and yelling about this parking spot but my stepfather who was very um, a docile man (laughs) You know, one of those very gentle souls mm-hmm. and non-confrontational souls. Who, who and he was sincerely lacking in two of the three C's. He had no emotional consistency and he had zero confidence. But he was he was competent. He was very smart. Um, he didn't do anything. He took no action. So I didn't like seeing my mother upset. And so, <laughs> I, 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 as soon as I got home from school that day, uh, the next day I did a Tiananmen Square type thing, and I, I stood in the middle of the parking space. And when the, the neighbor came to pull in, I would not move. And um, I did not talk to that guy with proper respect, admittedly, uh, but I thought I was standing up for my family. And so later that night, when my, mom, my mother came home from work, I, I had to lock myself in the bathroom because she I could tell her emotions were sky high and she's, you know, pounding on the door and screaming at me uh, for embarrassing her in front of the neighbors. And if I could go, you know, what I wish she would have done, and, and perhaps a, a male with the three C's would have done, is first, like I did with the kid, first said to me, 
thank you for standing up for our family. That was very brave. However, <laughs> you know, once I heard that, so I, you know, once you hear that and you hear, like you were saying, it's not, it's not only a lack of respect, but especially the younger you are, the more pronounced this is, you feel like a Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Someone's yelling at you like, and disgusted by your behavior. If you start out with what you said, the positive first, you know, honest positive. You know, I was standing up for my mother. That neighbor was was messing with us, and no one was doing anything about it. Um, then, of course, the, I would have been open to her telling me, but you know, you should have you sh- you should have talked to him differently, or you really should have come to me first and told me you were going to do this. Anything, you know, she would have had a point. But I, the the lesson burned into me from that exchange was that. Uh, I did, I did a terrible thing. Right. And it was looking backwards too. It was saying, you did this, you embarrassed me. And there's nothing you can do about that going forward. Where if, if she were to say, or, you know, in the context of, of, uh, your, do you refer to them as students or, or how do you refer to, to the boys that you help? I, I do refer to them as my kids. Yeah, your kids. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> yeah, we all really we all understand that as teachers. We all get that. So with your kids, <laughs> yeah. like the you're looking forward. You're saying, okay, here's what happened. Okay, here's the good things from that. Let's use those good things moving it forward. Um, and same thing with, with your mom. You're saying you wish that she would have said, let's you know, in the future, like come and talk to me about this. Come and do you know, let's let's uh have a plan basically, but instead it was, you embarrassed me, you did this and there's nothing you can do to fix that. And that's kind of a powerless position. And I think that it's important with what you're doing, especially with the kids that are haunting, you know, are are haunting the old tracks is not to look back to the past and say, Oh, here's what you did wrong. You know, cause they're already there and then they're going to haunt the, well, how do I fix that? Well, we don't really fix that. The thing is we just we just be better the next day and we, we use the things that we learned and we use the, our strengths and we move forward. And I think that that's one thing that, that's really important about what you do is that you're teaching in the context of life. You're teaching – you're giving that student opportunities – or that your kid an opportunity to, to apologize and to say, hey, look, I was a little you know, I was a little hot, um, was a little worked up at the time. I was upset, but this is, you know, this is how I felt. They're not apologizing for standing up for themselves. They're just apologizing for – you know, I was I was disrespectful. It's not going to happen in the future, and it's all future oriented. It's all looking ahead, and then people right. start to realize because you're helping them. Right. You're, you, 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 you must always keep in mind, all pun intended. These are developing fluid minds. Right. They're they're not they've not come to their natural end of development, and so they they need guidance. They don't need reprobation. You know, they they. You, you, you need to say, okay, I see what you were doing there. Let me guide you into how you can have, you could for the next time, as you say, for future events. And by the way, I, I, I'm probably going to have to do that with this kid. 8, 10, 12, 15, 20. I mean, <laughs> you don't just right. turn te- teens into men. But he's going to learn it because you're doing it with him rather than saying, here's how you respond in these types of situations. Or like even, even like, I, like I'm a Correct. big fan of role plays, but even like a role play, like this is more immersive. This is this. There's nothing that's going to relate more to kids' lives than their actual lives. And that's what I think is really important is that you're not saying, OK, here's what you did. You know, you should write an apology letter. You guys are sitting down. You're crafting that apology together. You're doing it together. You're guiding him through. 
and he's he's the one pressing send, and so he's going to remember those those instances way more than a lesson on respect, you know, way more than like a punishment on you know, uh, you know, one of a million punishments that they've ex- that kids have experienced in their lives. They are going to remember this, especially when they have like a trauma that 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 over overcasts over every other little punishment that happens and every other little right. embarrassing moment. So instead of being like, this is an embarrassing moment, focus on, okay, you did a great job on this thing. Cause that's the thing they've never heard before. Like you said that, and that's the thing that they're going to remember. And then they say, okay, great. And then you got that positive energy there to just leverage and say, all right, like, let's use that positive energy looking forward. And I think that that's something that like a lot of teachers can take and use in the classroom, even though it's not, you know, we're not coaching them through life in that same exact way, but we are coaching them through life and we are trying to give them experiences rather than lectures on how to do well, these things. Well, 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 let me, let me, if, if I may, if I, I'll give a, uh, a free, a free piece of advice to some of the teachers in your Perfect. audience. Um, so as I said, you know, my first teaching job, and by the way, I was, I, I was given that job, in October, after the, an English teacher at this high school fell in love and moved to Germany for love. And so um, I had no training going into that job. It's a long story how they, that because it was an emergency situation, the principal was able to put me in a public school without having been certified. Okay. She gave me a key to the book vault my first day and said, have at it. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> that's that was it <laughs> so for all you teachers out there imagine that you know you're uh, it, 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 my first day at that school to give you a little context uh i there was a dead pit bull on the steps of the oh school oh my god and which is you know heart-wrenching enough and i i figured it was probably dead because of some kind of gambling you know if pit bulls are fighting right. and stuff but it was watching the kids stepping over the oh. pit bull and understand and not judge, understanding like how hard must their lives, how hard are they coming up that how normal quote unquote must this image be for them to just step over and not lose it emotionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what I stepped into with no training and, and I'll, I'll skip ahead before I go to my free gift for your audience. Yeah, I'm glad that wasn't the free gift because <laughs> no, no, that is not a, the free that is gift. A I'm startling <laughs> image that's like burned into my head right now. It's, I mean, it's really I sad though. It really, it, was, it, it really cap- it captures it was, what you're talking about 100 percent because it was my yeah. first day of, of class, and 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 so um, just just to skip way ahead, those kids voted me the teacher of the year uh, and invited me to drum for their entire uh, talent show. But I want it now. I'll go to the gift. So. Without any formal training, how did how did the kids come to see me in such a light? And I let me tell you something. To quote most of the kids when they were talking about me, they would say I was mad strict. So <laughs> it wasn't that I, you know, it wasn't that I was easy. What it was was that I I I just saw a whole bunch of catch up kids. I'll say kids this time because there obviously there were boys and girls in the class, and I had this one boy in the third period class who was a typical speak out loud, challenging me every second. And, you know, he, he would really, he got to a point where just would disrupt the class. And, you know, 
There was only so much I could do. And again, I was not trained. And then I thought to myself, well, I, I used to disrupt the class right. too. <laughs> uh, but I, I did it in a more comedic way. He was more you know, angry and, and somewhat violent. And I, and, I, and, I, and I was like, why did I do that when I was his age? And, and the reason was, I'm pretty sure, is that um, I was bored. And so what I did for this kid was I, I just started giving him all kinds of responsibility. I made him like the class coach. I would have him collect homework. I would have him, I would, I broke the class up into teams and, and I would do almost like a game show format sometimes. And I would have him keep score and even sometimes MC. And this kid became my best friend. And this kid, this is the double special gift for your teachers out there. I was not allowed to tell these kids to shut the fuck up. <laughs> as as I and I'm not going to lie to you and say I didn't want and to. That's, and that's the kind of language that they would respond best to, too. You know, that's the thing. This kid did it for me. <laughs> that's the, that is the number one trick. You find that kid in your class. You reach him. You make him an ally. And almost always you make him an ally by giving him responsibility. By the way, when I said bored, so I, I have to say, I, I, my classes were pretty damn exciting. You get the, the boredom link I felt with him is that a lot of times when I was young in, in class, my fellow classmates bored me. And I wish they were out of the room so I could just be me and the teacher learning. And that's what I meant, by the way. I just want to clarify that. And so when you take, by the way, Steve Jobs was such a kid. Mm-hmm. One, one of the most interesting things in, in the Isaacson um, biography was that he, his parents were called to, to school because he was disrupting the class. And there was this one teacher, this woman, who realized it was because he was so bright and he needed one-on-one. And she, after school, would do the CSI-type stuff with him just to keep his brain going. And he, he changed. And so when you make that kid your ally... That kid could then say the things you wish you could say and you can't. Right. <laughs> so I hope that was a, a valuable gift. I think it is because I, I, I experienced <laughs> that in, in high school as well where I would I would be disruptive, but I was never given – I was never like reprimanded for it I, and nobody ever said I was being disrupt- – I knew I was because I knew I would have an idea and want to you know shout it out. Like I remember one of my physics class, I'd be like – I would just stop the class and be like – Top five favorite candy bars. Top five favorite cereals. Go. And But we would have fun with it. And I think that it was like there's – somebody later on told me when I was being diagnosed with ADHD, they're like, yeah, that's an ADHD kind of thing right there is to have to disrupt the class like that. But like you got away with it because I, cause I always had good relationships with my teachers. And so they called it charm, which I don't necessarily consider myself – I mean I can be kind of charming, you know. So, But I don't consider myself, you know – that's not the word I would use to describe myself, but I think that what you did for this student is you helped him develop his charm. And, right. and I, without drugs, without any pharmaceutical right, drugs, exactly. this ADHD, which I could talk for five hours on that. Let's just say I, my, my method is a, an organic one. Sure. So <laughs> yeah. So charm, um, the charm is a big, like that helps these disrupt kids that are disruptive that are bored. If they can be yeah, charming yeah. and disruptive, then everybody benefits. Then you got an MC. You know, like you said, then you got Correct. an MC. And so another thing that you said was, you know, that the kids would say that you're, you're mad strict. And this is an example where, like, 
you were obviously giving this kid a lot of responsibility, but it wasn't as a punishment. It was as a, um, a place for him to direct his energy. And I, I, I always like to say that, and it's tough for me to explain, but your, your example kind of allows it to be explained where I don't think there's any such thing as tough love. I think it's just love. And I think that mm-hmm. kids recognize that when you are, because I was a very strict teacher too, but we had a ton of fun. But in order to have that type of fun in pre-K, we had to be operating at a kindergarten, first grade kind of behavior level. Um, we couldn't be acting like babies. We couldn't be throwing tantrums or we couldn't be doing the th- these types of really fun, interesting stuff that we did in my classroom. Um, so I ran a really tight ship to help the kids have those self-control and self-regulatory skills that they could then focus on what was being learned and focus on the fun activities and the activities that gave them a lot of freedom that I could trust them to do because they had those skills. And it's because I, I gave a lot of tough love, but I never saw it as like, Ooh, it's tough. Like, it's just love. Like if you love kids, you're going to do what's best for them. You're going easy on them, giving them a free pass on things that say, Oh, you know, you know how to do this, but you don't feel like doing it today. That's cool. Like, I don't think that that's, that's fair to children is to, is to let them or at, at any age, you know, even for adults is to let them off the hook for things that, when they're not doing their best. I think it's our jobs to teach discipline in a way, to model discipline so kids can then understand how to self-discipline. Like I think that's the purpose of discipline. Well, that's so – that, so that to me is the, the, the consistence of the three yes. Cs. That's what I'm talking about. That, that's, that's having control over your emotions and the only – way they can learn that is to have someone who's in control of his emotions <laughs> reacting to them. Right. It creates a and scaffold so, for them to <laughs> then put their own um, behaviors into that scaffold and say, okay, I don't need somebody else controlling what's happening. You know, I don't need someone else controlling me. I can control myself in the same way. That's going to make them kind of back off and not have to do any type of disciplinary stuff because you're self disciplining yourself in a way that's, not you know, not punishment. Discipline is not punishment. It's just no. some control and exactly that they they create. I, I I even tell this to my friends who are you know have kids who are three four years old or I, I, I try to explain you know I, I believe and from what I've observed with my well over ten thousand Malcolm Gladwell hours okay. uh, is that inside these kids they absolutely crave this consistency from the adult because going on inside of them is so wildly inconsistent so if the adult is also wildly inconsistent that's chaos not one of the three c's <laughs> no <laughs> i mean uh oh how about this if if none of the three c's are met that equals chaos yeah, right the fourth C that you never yeah. want, but I just want to. I just want to. Um, you, you, you're, as always, you sort of have my mind popping here. Uh, I, those kids were really lucky to have had you, and I want to. And, and, and Thank specifically you. because of what you did, but also because you're a male. And I, I, I realized that there was an earlier question I, I haven't addressed with the numbers. So um, there are roughly 152 million humans in America who began life as boys. Uh, and 3% of these boys, 3% of them have male pre-K or kindergarten teachers. So, so just think about that for a second. 
at the very beginning of their, because I, I think, you know, psychologically, it's around five years old when boys and girls start really patterning out. You know, I, I, from what I, you know, again, there were tons of girls fighting in the high school I was at and stuff. But I, I found that male disruption was different from female disruption. There was disruption from both, but they had different styles, if that makes any sense. Oh, it makes perfect sense. Uh, and so imagine that. Imagine you're a, a, a little boy. Let's say your, your parents are divorced, or let's say your father is somebody, is a catch-up boy himself. Now you spend all day with a woman as your teacher. So she's not, she doesn't understand what it's like to be a five-year-old boy. So then you, if you go further to elementary school, only 18% of these boys are, are given male elementary school teachers. And let's be honest, not all 18% are going to get a male elementary school teacher that's even has the three C's under control, right. you know, and then of course, once we get to secondary school, it goes up to 43%, but that's still less than half. And again, I'll say it's not just having a male around there. In, in some cases that could be worse. I'm talking about a male with the three C's one, at least one male to, 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 to role model and to help guide these kids. And, that's on sadly a nationwide there's a nationwide dearth of, of, of such males for these boys right and if you're a female teacher which I know a lot of a lot of you are out there don't think that you yeah. can't teach you know like I you know I taught little girls just just as well as I taught little boys but what Eric's saying here is really important because this is a fun we all know this is a fundamental time for growth and for associations and so bringing and they may have really positive male figures at home. So invite those male figures into the classroom. Invite them in as volunteers. Invite parents. Invite community members. And, I mean, invite strong women volunteers in as well. It's not just about, you know, having those strong male figures, but but it is important. So, you know, I just I, – I, I No, look, make, I yeah, agree. I and, as a matter of fact – a lot of female fact, audience, you know, and I don't want them oh, to think, no, like, oh, well, what am I supposed to do? Oh, there, there you go. There's absolutely. something right there. So. It is important. Absolutely. Well, let me, let me, okay, that's a great point. So um, at, at the last school I was at, I had, you know, a work wife, <laughs> uh, someone who I'm really trying to recruit to actually lead my catch-up girls business. Uh, and so what we would do is almost like we were married <laughs> and these were all our kids, is I would help her with some of her tough Male, you know, students, that there were things she just wasn't getting and, and vice versa. You know, I would go to her with, you know, sometimes I even brought her into my classroom um, when I felt I wasn't equipped to help a, a female student with something that was going on. Um, and so I, I fully advocate that, you know, I've had some of my greatest success working with female students, again, on that on that confidence of the three C's and competence, you know, in terms of academics and writing and, and helping them build that confidence. I still don't feel that I'm the best person to help a teenage girl with her emotional consistency. For sure. Because I don't, I don't know what causes emotional inconsistency in a teenage girl. Right. And I think that that's a level of humility and a level of understanding where it really is for, especially for a teenage boy. When you mentioned it the first time, you just said, I can look a boy 
in the eyes and say, I know what it's like to be to be a boy. But for a teenage boy, it's like, you know, doubles, triples, like just infinitely times more of that experience where it's like to be a teenage boy, especially, you know, with the things that that you've gone through in your life. And when you communicate that, you know, to to your kids in one way or another, they recognize that. And that level of authenticity, going back to the authenticity and, you know, their bullshit meter, that that is where that connection really lies because I remember the first time that we spoke, you said that it's a big difference between these kids that go see a therapist because, uh, you know, might as well mention this now. Um, when you were talking about that you teach at a, at a 1% kind of school, one-on-one, I'm sure, I mean, my first reaction was like, wow, well, I, that's... I, that, I, that, that I have to, I just want to interrupt yeah. just to be clear. I, I no longer teach. That. Right, right. That's right. That yeah. Was my, that was my last, I, I actually no longer teach. Right. Uh, well, well, you know, academically, um, but, um, so that was my last educational, um, work experience. Right. I just want to make that clear. Cause I definitely didn't use the past yeah. tense there. Um, but when you taught there and, and you said, you know, I teach one-on-one with these, you know, very, very rich 1% kinds of kids. I'm sure. I mean, my first reaction was when you told me that was like, wow, this must be a really fancy special type of school for like the best of the best kinds of kids. And it's actually kids that have gone through have gone through that that event in their life that have thrown them off the tracks. And this is a, I don't want to say last resort kind of, kind of school, but it's a school that, that is for those kids that, that have struggled in, in their other private schools or public schools or other places like that. And so I just wanted to, to, to kind of well, make that, or you can, you can make yeah, it clearer, but, yes. but I wanted to like kind of just hit on that because that level of authenticity, I understand, you know, building those relationships, like these kids are not, don't think of them as like they are getting spoiled rotten with this one-on-one Correct. treatment. Like they've gone through some shit. Yes, they have. Uh, and, and instead of a last resort, what I'm going to call it, and, and you'll see it on my website, which I'm going to plug again, www.catchupboys.com. I talk, and actually the, the kid I mentioned before, the one with the soccer email and all that mm-hmm. stuff, I, I met with him last night and I showed him the site and he particularly like this phrase I use on the site, which is the first time I meet catch up boy. I, it's like an empty page for me. I call it an empty page. You're giving, you have no, idea. these kids have been labeled right by, by their schools, by their therapists, sometimes by even their families. And I offer them an empty page. I'm Sherlock Holmes going to a crime scene. And I'm just following the evidence. And it is like, Seriously, like getting out of jail and getting a second chance, and see the relief on the, in their eyes. And so that's what that last school I was at was like. These were all kids who could not get an empty page at any other school in Manhattan. That reminds me of the finale of Better Call Saul that was on this week. <laughs> that was awesome. You watched it. Yes, it's one of my. It's, it's actually the only show I watch. It's really now. grown yes. on me. But he says that one thing to the to the girl. So for some context, they are, you know, Better Call Saul. Saul is from Breaking Bad. This is a prequel story. He's a lawyer, um, and this his law firm is giving away scholarships to kids, and they have all these really impressive kids come in, and one girl comes in, and. She is a Cynthia Esposito. Cynthia Esposito. Eric's got it. So she is a she when when uh, Saul, who goes by Jimmy, 
don't if you don't watch, I'm sorry if this is getting confusing. He says, <laughs> you know, I really like Cynthia Esposito. And everybody says, Oh, the shoplifter. Yes. And that is what everybody in the room because he Jimmy is a blue collar. He's worked his way up. Everybody doubted him. He worked his way up through like, you know, junior college to get this law degree. Everybody else's legacy kind of people. And they only see this girl as a shoplifter. Jimmy says, no, she she has experience with the law. She was caught. She might be able to bring something to the lawyer profession that these other kids that have perfect resumes that they can't. And it ultimately comes out that they decide not to give her the scholarship. And Jimmy chases her down in the parking lot and gives her a incredible monologue that goes on for about three, four minutes where he's telling her that she's going to have to – scrape and claw and work her way and cut corner, you know, cut corners where she can, yeah, but, th- but it's about she, to those people in there that are the legacy people, she will always be that one. The line that really struck me is she will always be that one mistake that she made. That is who she is. Correct. And I think a lot of these kids I, 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 may feel that way. And it's, it's not the case, you know, for, for everyone. It's, it's that situation that he's describing, but it really spoke to me. Go on. I'm sorry. You, you want to jump in? No, no, that's, I mean, cause you just, it's funny because we're, you know, obviously, folks, we're talking about a, a TV show, but it, it doesn't matter in, in a sense. It, it gives a little more uh, clarity to what I'm talking about, um, you know, for your female audience. I, that was an incredible scene. He was giving her tremendous advice, one off the track kind of guy to an older man to an off the track younger girl. But what was so good about the actress's uh, performance? Mm-hmm playing Cynthia Esposito, is she was a little freaked out. Even though he was doing his best, he was relating to her. You know, didn't matter gender. It still was an older man acting a little weird in front of a teenage girl. And I and, and I wonder how that scene would have played out with a if it was a boy. I think the, the boy actor might have played it a little differently. That this is that's a great sort of edifying example of what I'm talking about. Even when, uh, and I, I want to give one more, if I Go may. I had this, this 12-year-old girl who um, that I worked with her, and, 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 and I'm still in touch with her parents, and her father tells me that, again, she never trusted anyone more than she trusted me. But I, but I, I you know, I talk about my successes a lot. You know, I carry, I, I, I wouldn't say I failed with her, but I carry her around with me, and you know, I would come into the house and she would be in the fetal position, crying in a really weeping in, in a primal way that, you know, took everything I had to not show him up too much emotion um, during those times. And um, I, 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 have, I just have to wonder sometimes, is it, is it because I, I was never a little girl? Is, is that part of why she she's the, the one kid I haven't been able to help more than I would have liked. I don't know, mm-hmm. but, but that, that kind of, and I, and I kind of felt that way watching that better call Saul scene. She, that, that whole thing reminded me of this, of this girl, because in some ways I understood some of the stuff that was going on for her very well, even though I wasn't, but I, I always, I always, I, I walk around, I've told this to the parents and they don't know either. I wonder if I could have, if I, if same thing, if she were a boy, if I could have helped her more. Well, I think that kind of even was in that scene where 
so what Eric's talking about with the with her acting is she's kind of just looking and, and she's taking it in and she's like a little uneasy about it because um, he's yeah. a stranger coming up and yelling at her in a parking yes. lot. But at the end, yes. she's like, I, I got to go. Her The first line that she says after Jimmy gives us four or five minute, you know, I know I said three or four. I think I was probably closer to five. I don't know. Whatever. But long monologue. Great speech. She goes, I, I need to catch my bus. And he says, <laughs> but do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? So he doesn't even know for sure if she's getting yes. it because there is that little bit of disconnect there. And she goes, I think so. And he says, great. And then he goes in his car and he cries. And yep. that's kind of, that's kind of it. Um, but he, he didn't quite know if he was reaching her. She didn't quite know how to react to this strange man yelling in the parking lot yep. at her, but they understood each other. Right. They were kindred spirits. Right. And so I think that that's, yeah, I actually, I'm surprised how well this matches up to, to what, you know, Dude, that's, that's why I interrupted yeah, you. Yeah, no, it's awesome. <laughs> it was enthusiasm and respect. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so let's get into the three C's because there's some stuff that you said to me yeah. um, when we first spoke about, you know, I'm wondering if you could share like the kinds of skills and talents that you encourage these boys to nurture um, to right. get them feeling competent and confident and consistent. And also, um, in describing that, if you could also like infuse that, you know, what we were talking about with uh, your role in these boys' lives, like what is your role? What is your position? Um, because like I said, are, are they your students? And you said, well, they're my kids, which is an awesome answer, and it's the answer that relates to teachers the most. So what does that make you? Because I know we see ourselves as more than teachers a lot of the time, and I know you see yourself yep. as much more than that. You have different a lot of different hats that you wear. And so those two questions, I feel like they kind of go together if you want to answer them, you know, one at a time. Yep however you want, but I think they're both important. So for um, the folks in your audience, I'd like to, it dawned on me, maybe a good way to describe it, start to frame this, is that in, in many ways I'm a traveling finishing school, a one-man <laughs> traveling finishing school for these boys. Uh, I'm talking about the, specifically for the boys in the middle of that bell curve rather than at the ends. You know, the boys at the at the ends, you know, the off the track, more the off the track ones. I'm more of a rebuilder, but but for for the majority, um, it's 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 sort of a traveling finishing school, and so the three C's, they're in order and they flow. There's not even really a list. One links into another into another, and so let's start with competence. As any teacher knows, now it's another gift for you guys if you if you don't know this. Kids love to flash their skills. They love to flash what they're blessed with or gifted with or whatever you want to believe. Their natural skills. It, it just brings them unbelievable joy. Uh, and believe it or not, you actually, a lot of them, you have to encourage them to do it, though. And so when I'm starting with a kid, uh, I have this questionnaire I've developed, a sort of a wiki-like questionnaire in the, in the fact that every time I deliver it, I asked the kid at the end, you know, which questions did I not ask you that you would have liked? And then I add those questions for the next kid. And so when I'm done with this questionnaire, when I do my consults, I already know what this kid, you know, thinks are his, you know, skills. So you immediately want to start with those and get that. Well, let's, let's take an example of kid. Uh, like, like this kid I mentioned with the soccer, he's also a tremendous basketball player. 
So when he was struggling with a lot of stuff, I would take him out to the basketball court and we'd shoot around and we'd talk about what was going on. And I would bring his English book with us. And so here he is. And, he, you know, I full disclosure, I, I suck at basketball as much as I love it. And this kid is, is just a natural athlete. So he's sitting there. He's draining threes. He's watching me like, barely hit the backboard. Uh, and it, it, it just opens the, the surge he gets from showing me that he's a great basketball player, then opens him up for the book that he's struggling with or the other issues he's struggling with. I, I don't know if that is that clear where I'm going yeah. with that. So, so you want to start with confidence because it's a natural organic boost. I don't need a pharmaceutical pill. All you have to do is get a kid doing what he does best. And that is a natural high. Then you want to look at what are some competency fields where he needs some work. So academically, I particularly focus on reading and writing. I, I've had great success with kids who are dyslexic, who are on the spectrum, who are perfectionists. Uh, that's, so I still, working with these kids, that is the, I still have that teacher hat on when it comes to reading and writing. But it's more about developing the competence with them um, on, on this topic. Once a kid feels competent, confidence naturally follows. And so let's go non-academic. Let's just take, again, what a boy who will soon be a man needs to sort of do. You know, we talked about toxic males. If I, I had this one kid I worked with who, you know, I hate to get somber here, but he was physically abused by his father. Uh, not, you know, sexually, but I mean in a disciplined way. Punched and things like that. And I remember the first time I met him during our consult, it went very well. And I went to fist bump him and he recoiled. And so I realized, oh my, with this kid... I have to raise that first C and I have to get him to be not so scared of life, you know, of confrontation. So the, I realized that this kid could quite literally teach political science in an Ivy League school already. Uh, that, that's just how advanced this kid's knowledge and mind is. All right. <laughs> so, um, I would engage him in these roaring debates while we would walk around Riverside Park or Central Park. And once he trusted me, he would scream his head off at me. And, I, and inside, I would, you know, I was grinning. I'm like, yes, yes, let it out. You know, scream at me. <laughs> Confront me. This is fantastic. You know, it was amazing to go from him coiling from the fist bump to screaming at me in the middle of a park. But good naturedly, you know, we were having a gentleman's debate. Uh, but that's not enough. You know, then I, I encouraged the mother to, to get him into, into boxing class. Now, personally, I think MMA would even be better because it teaches you how to defend yourself in more street situations. Right. But I guess you think about this kid, there, as we talked about, there are toxic mouths and a kid like this, who's already conditioned to be, you know, bullied he just literally needs some way of defending himself. And, and so that if it happens, his, he feels like I could do this. I could defend myself. 
I'm not, I'm not a victim. I'm not weak. And that automatically raises confidence. And then, of course, as anyone knows, if you're walking around with confidence, you're much less likely to be, you know, harassed. Right. And I think to, but, oh, sorry, go on. I didn't. Yeah, yeah no, but I mean, it just in, in bullies of all stripes smell weakness. They smell, they smell insecurity. Someone's walking around with their shoulders back and their chin up with natural confidence because of their competence. They're, they're, no one messes with people like that. Right. Number one rule in uh, 12 Rules to Life by Jordan Peterson. Stand up tall. Is that right? Stand up tall. Stand right? up tall with your shoulders back. Yep. That's the, uh-huh. that's the first rule in the book. Um, and it's all because of, you know, the evolutionary biological functions of those types of things and the message, the signals that it sends out to your environment. Um, and I think, too, another thing about being able to defend yourself is just, you know, going to being that strong, being able to, uh, you're helping nurturing great fathers and everybody, boy or girl thinks their dad is the strongest guy in the world. And you certainly don't want to let them down early in their life uh, and show them that you're not in one way or another. Um, And it doesn't have to be with physical strength. It can be with emotional strength. It can be with a lot of different things. And so keeping that, I don't want to say illusion, but that persona, that persona, um, giving these kids the skills to develop it and then to have that, that helps them be great fathers. Um, in the end, and so I also love what you were talking about when when I was asked when you were telling me about what your role is, your position, how you wear all these different hats, you know. Um, yes, yeah. yes, that's I mean because I, I could give you, I like to give you one more. Um, this, another kid I work with who is actually you know, even though I work with him a little on reading and, and, and writing, he gets very good grades and he's really trying to uh, get into Duke or Columbia. You know, he's he's, he's a high achiever. But he's, his social skills are, are, are almost non-existent. And so he was um, going to go to the junior prom. And I, uh, I said to him, listen, your mission at this prom is to get rejected by five girls. No less. I want five no's from women. I want you to go up and ask five women to dance. And I want you to get five no's. And he was looking at me like I was insane. And um, I said, and he trusted me though, right? So I, at, later that, that, that night, I was at a Yankees game, and this kid is texting me. I, I'm up to three, and I'm like, great. <laughs> like, I'm like, people are looking at me thinking I'm cheering at the game, but I'm cheering for this kid getting turned down. <laughs> and he, he did the five, and then we talked, you know, the next time I saw him. And, and I said, okay, let me explain to you now why I – did what I did with you. And I, I said, you know, when Derek Jeter was a kid, he was afraid of the ball in Little League. Uh, not so much being pitched, but, but you know, he was playing shortstop and balls were rocketed at him and he would ole the ball. For those people who don't know baseball too well, ole means getting, getting as far away from the ball as you can and <laughs> sort of sticking your glove out. Right. So Derek Jeter's parents, and I, I've always said, his parents should be in the Hall of Fame with Derek Cheater. Uh, everything I know about these parents, these 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 parents don't need to call me. Uh, and his father, check this out. This is what I'm. This this father who is off the charts on the three C's. 
he took Derek Jeter out and just blasted baseballs at the kid. And Jeter's legs were filled with bruises and all of this, right? But you know what? The next day, he, 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 his fear of the ball was gone. Gone. His father and father wasn't doing that to be abusive or, or father was trying to show him, yeah, you know, it hurts a little, but the next day you feel better. And, you know, he went on to become a Hall of Fame shortstop. Right. What? Right. So it, it, this, this father wasn't one of those, you know, stereotypical little league dads. He just realized my son has a world of talent. I got, I, there's no way to explain to him he shouldn't be afraid of the ball. The only way to do it is to have him go through a little pain so he'll realize it's not life-ending pain. He, he didn't break his leg. He just, you know, he, he dinged him up a little. Right. Trial by fire. And so what I told this kid, who's, by the way, a very warm-hearted kid, I said, do, do you understand what I did beyond that? And then I said, what you did, you're already on a path now. You're going to meet a girl in college who you really like and you really want you know, it's not a game. You really want to go out with her and, you know, you have feelings for her. Now that you've done what you've done, if you keep doing this a little bit, when you go up to talk to this girl the first time, you're going to go up with confidence. You're going to go up with, without that fear of rejection. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm grooming you for your future wife. Right. And that's, that's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> and I think that that speaks something that I always take on on confidence is that the more prepared yeah. you are, the more confident you will be and preparation Correct. brings confidence. And so the more you put yourself in that situation that you're scared of, one, the more you realize that your fears are a little bit unfounded, they're a little bit in your head. And two, you you gain more experience, you gain more preparation. Like if you go into a test and you don't study at all, you're going to be a lot less confident. Then if you go and you, then you studied a ton for it or you've practiced a ton before a game, um, like for football players in the film room, like if they don't spend any time in the film room, like, I mean, there's, you know, there's certainly such a thing as uh, having confidence without, you know, like unfounded confidence, like blind confidence. But that's not the same kind of confidence that we're talking about because those people are not very self-conscious. No, no. Yeah. Let's let's let's, let's make it very clear. There's. Arrogance, and then there's confidence. Right. I, I, I personally am put off by arrogance. I, I, I can't model that for the kids because I'm, I'm not arrogant. Uh, but confidence is something because confident, the confidence I'm trying to instill, it flows from competence. If, if you're, if you have these, you know, another, another kid, I, I had, I had him go to dance lessons, just a few, so that he can go to a party. And competently dance with the girl at a party, which, of course, is going to make him more confident interacting with her and asking her to dance in the first place. That's not arrogance. It's not like, of course, you know, you should dance with me because I'm the best. It's just, hey, you know, I like you. Um, I know how to dance a little. You wanna, let's, have, let's have some fun and dance. That, that's, that's a very important distinction. Right. And I mean, there's a lot of other benefits too that come along with things like MMA and come along with dance classes. It's a, it's a relationship with your body. It's a relationship yeah. with health and health is always a, a precursor to, to self-love. Um, you treat your body with, with respect and with love. It means you're going to be eating healthy. You're going to be exercising. You're going to be doing these types of things. Um, and so building those habits in almost implicitly 
um, because your body's going to reward you with some really good feelings when you're exercising and you're doing these types of things. And there's a lot of progress that can be made because, you know, some of us are certainly born with more rhythm than, than others, but you know, you can always improve like, you know, MMA and, and, um, and dancing. These are things that you can always improve upon. And there's always like an upper, another echelon of, of greatness that you can achieve. Um, even up until you're Conor McGregor and then you run into, into Khabib and you realize, okay, uh, I'm not the greatest, you know, or you run to Floyd and you're like, okay, there's still people that are even better than me. And I'm the biggest fighter in the world or, you know, the best dancers in the world on, on America's got talent or, or, um, you know, so you think you could dance or any of these other shows, there's always something to strive for. There's always people that you can learn from. I think all that stuff's fantastic. Um, and so we've been on the phone for a while now, Eric, and, and everything's yeah. been awesome. Um, and I, and well, may I just, um, may I just, I did not hit the third C. Oh, really yeah. I, that's quick. what I was going to try to wrap up. Um, with, was like, you just hit those two yes. C's. Let's hit that third one. Yes. And go out. So on the top. third so one. Go ahead. Right here. Is the, is the end. The third one is that new set of tracks. The third one is what the boy will develop into as as a, as a as a man as an adult man and so the the more competencies you have the more confident you are the more you feel that way which again i can't stress enough they're natural organic uh you feel joyful when you when you ha- when you walk around feeling you know competent and confident that will automatically smooth your emotions if you've had a guide show you how to do that. The, the emotional thing, you need to see that in practice. You need to see how emotionally controlled mentor handles conflict. So I'll give you a, a last story. I, one kid that I meet, uh, we meet at this um, beautiful gym. And before you get to the gym, it's, it's called Equinox, and it's, it's by Lincoln Center in, in Manhattan. Uh, it's a great meeting space for me because it's, you know, it's public, there's Wi-Fi, there's, it's a huge, there's a huge restaurant before you get to the gym that overlooks Lincoln Center and stuff. It's, it's great. It's perfect. And the kid, the kid loves it. And we were, uh, I was helping him actually with a reading project, and there was a, a, a guy on his cell phone with the loudest voice ever, pacing back and forth where I could feel his breath on my neck. Yep. So I know I'm at a gym. You know, we, were, we, were, we were seated right by a TV. I was not, I, I know I was not in a library, but this was, you know, too much. So I turned around and I politely said, excuse me, I'm working um, with this kid on, on a reading project. Uh, would you mind if I, you just m- maybe have your phone call just a little bit further away from us? What do you think this, this guy did? I have no idea. You tell me. <laughs> Probably freaked out. Yeah, it was about, I would say he's about 27, actually, 25. He freaked out. He ex- We're at a gym. You know, you know, and, then he, and again, I'm, I'm sitting there with, with a 14-year-old boy, right? Um, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sit down next to you and have this call. Now you have to, <laughs> this, you know, Sounds this petty. took a lot yeah. of will. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I do think of these kids as my kids. And of course he chooses to sit next to the kid rather yeah. than me. And he starts talking very loud on the phone. 
So the kid, I see the kids looking at me, right? This is, in a way, I wanted to thank the guy <laughs> because this is one of those teachable moments, right? right? Sure. Like how, how am I going to deal I mean, with this jerk? And so uh, the, what I did was uh, first a little humor. Uh, I started matching the guy's voice um, a little higher than his voice. And the kid was laughing a little bit. And um, then I, I told the kid, just, just, just wait a second. And I went to the general manager and I told him what was going on. And I said, listen, if there wasn't a kid involved, I might handle this a little differently. But, uh, you know, and the general manager came and escorted the guy out. No harm, no foul. So the kid got to see me, A, try to be polite in the first place. B, try to sort of humor shame this right. guy into, you know, changing his course. Because that I was giving his ego a way to leave without, you know, the guy's ego. Right. Uh, that didn't work. So my only recourse at that point was physical confrontation, which, believe me, I, <laughs> I, I, I would be lying if I didn't say it. I had a little of that in the back of my mm -hmm. head. Uh, uh, or, you know, to show, you know, in some cases like this, in a nice place like this, that's what GMs are for. To handle right. this for you and so i went and did it and when after it was over the kid looked at me and he just said i don't understand you were so polite to the guy and i'm like well you know that's what's going to happen even even when you do try to do things the right way you're going to have toxic guys like this and and then we discussed how i handled it and so that's how you model consistency. You, you really on that one, they're looking to you. They don't want to hear what you say. They, they watch what you do. These, these teenagers constantly monitor your behavior rather than your words. Right. And that consistency is, is also a level of like conflict re resolution, whether it's with another person or whether it's with yourself, that emotional consistency and conflict resolution kind of go hand in hand and a lot of these kids that that you work with i imagine a lot of kids in general you know they don't have that model for how to handle conflicts and how to resolve them in ways that are going to be you know hopefully mutually beneficial but if not then you know at least peaceful um and so i think that that's that's an important point too because that's something that we're always working on especially in early childhood is that conflict resolution and that comes from a place of emotional consistency correct um so yeah. my, my 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 point to to all of this is so let's let, let, let's take a seesaw right as a as a metaphor in terms of conflict resolution and and consistency if you don't have consistency you're you you're a seesaw right, right? you could be you know yes is bipolar and it's a for another podcast my friend but um <laughs> Let's just let's just take something where it's just seesaw emotions. My my great belief is that the more competence and confidence the kid has, the less movement the seesaw has. I'm not saying it's going to be flat, but it doesn't go as high or as low. Now, so now you're in a workable zone. You have to start with those two. If you start with those two things. The conflicts won't escalate the way they normally would. 
Now you're in a workable seesaw. And then it's about, you know, role models doing exactly what that term means. And just using, using conflicts that will invariably come up, as we talked about throughout this podcast today, like the kid with the soccer or, or me with that neighbor, with, you know, they're going to come up. Great. Or me with this guy at the gym. Use them and, ju and just say, okay, your instincts were good here. Here's where you could. That's, 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 that's how people grow. Right. And I think that the, the seesaw example is great, too, because what you're saying is you don't want all yes. that volatility because that's what it is with the, with the yes. extremes is the volatility and the volatility, you know, you don't want volatility in anything, especially not in relationships or interactions. And I just that was the word that came into my head when you were saying get in that workable zone. I'm like, right, because the other well, one is, well, well, here is I too have volatile. To, I and, for the first time today, I have to I have to disagree a little bit, a little bit with what, with what you oh, said. OK, okay uh, great. Uh, I'm a big believer in volatility. Um, I, I'm a, I'm a, I, there's a book called Anti-Fragile by Nassim Tlaib where he exactly talks about this, where we're trying to smooth out volatility from everything. You know, in, in terms of kids, we smooth it out by writing prescriptions. Uh, so right. it's, it, you, what you don't, you want manageable volatility. Change only comes through right. volatility. That's why I want to be very clear about this. The, the, the problems we, we face are when we bottle up this volatility, this manageable volatility, and then it be slowly becomes unmanageable, and then it's an explosion. And that's when kids get hurt. That's when teachers get hurt. It's those volcanic conflicts right. you know, which causes a lot of teachers to reconsider their careers, quite frankly. Because they're not trained to, 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 but so that's why you want to allow manageable volatility because it gets it out, and, and, and that, that's all and I you're, want. You're 100 percent Because I really right, believe yeah. in that, and again, it, it gives you teachable moments. But you, if someone slashes someone with a box cutter, that there's no teachable moment there. You know, right? I, and I've seen that. Right. Uh, but two, two so, kids sort of jawing at each other. You could work with that. Right. And and I've read Antifragile and I guess that lesson <laughs> was not ingrained in my head so 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 distinct because when you're talking I'm like, damn, I knew all that. You know, I shouldn't have said that about the the, the volatility. I guess I'm still a little uh I guess I'm just still a little um heartbroken about about my bitcoin <laughs> investment and that's why i'm a little anti-volatility right yeah. now but but you're 100 right you can't you you want to have volatility that you know you, you don't want to try to stifle it because then it then it just it explodes like you said i mean I, I don't need to rephrase you said it perfectly um so i imagine you know there's a after listening to us talk for for over an hour i imagine there's a lot of people out there that if if you don't you know a catch-up boy after hearing Eric talk about what a catch-up boy is, then, well, you probably do. Uh, I can't imagine there's anybody out there that doesn't know a catch-up boy or isn't a catch-up boy or doesn't have a family member or a friend or a student that isn't a catch-up boy. So people are probably wondering right now, and I know you plugged it twice already, but plug it again. You know, where can they, where can our audience find you, Eric? Where can they get your expertise and, and help for, for these kids that, that, that definitely need it, and the urgency is excellent. Is very so high. you can never plug it off. So um, www. 
Catch Up Boys, C-A-T-C-H-U-P-B-O-Y-S.com. Or I'm sort of an in-person kind of guy, if you haven't figured this out. Um, so uh, my phone number is 646-388-3180. Uh, if you go to www.catchupboys.com, you'll see a website that is a 1.0 right now. Um, but tells the tale, and it has my contact info. And um, I am compiling testimonials, some of which I've talked about today. And that will be the, the new upgrade to the website starting probably by the end next week. Excellent. Can't wait to see it. And thank you so much for coming on, Eric. You know, I really enjoyed it. We, Eric and I have probably spent about <laughs> five hours talking between this interview and between what we talked about before before we got on the call and what we talked about last week. And we're probably going to spend a, a few more hours talking in the future. I sure hope so. Probably yeah. plenty more because we really get along well. Yeah, me too. So really thank you for coming on. Um, you know, everybody's going to benefit so much from this. I benefited a lot just from hearing your experiences and hearing all the things that – the important things that you are doing. And, you know, you said it last time that what you're doing is a – I forget the phrase that you used, but it's it's a new market that you're opening up, and it's one that's very very needed. So you know, on behalf of our audience, on behalf of like every catch up boy out there, thank you for what thank you're you, doing. Jared. Really really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. You're welcome, man. Thank you again. Well, thank you for listening to the Punk Rock Preschool Podcast. I hope you are one step closer to making the classroom of your dreams come true. To find Eric. Like he said, check him out at catchupboys.com, C-A-T-C-H-U-P-B-O-Y-S.com. And Eric is available all the time. You, He just wants to help. He's a busy guy, but he will make time if you need to talk to him about something or you know a child that needs his type of help. Please reach out to Eric and follow him on social media. And, and even if you want to just reach out to him and let him know that he's doing really special, really important work, that goes a long way. So thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Go to punkrockpreschool.com. Sign up for our email list. The new CD is coming out very, very shortly. Just waiting on album art right now. Then we're doing promotion. CD is finished. Finally, Punk Rock Preschool CD is finished. So please sign up for the email list so you can get a discount on the Punk Rock Preschool CD for those about to learn when it comes out. So again, check out Eric. Sign up to the email list. Subscribe to the podcast. And for listening. Until next time, keep rocking.